They're calling me a racist, they're calling me a misogynist, a homophobe. I've had articles written about me calling me a terrorist. Brothers Josh and Nick Alexander are evangelical Christians who have become known for taking vocal stances against COVID-era mandates and gender ideology in schools. They were highly active in Canada's Freedom Convoy and the Million March for Children, a walkout protest against gender ideology they've faced major backlash for their activism. The other crowd just keeps attacking us. They have uh, umbrellas they're trying to stab us with. I looked down at the sidewalk I was standing on, there's a the pool of blood there. And the cops come surround us, put us in cuffs, and drag us off to the paddy wagon. I engaged with students even from the paddy wagon, and they wanted to get me on a uh, hate speech bylaw. Josh was suspended and later banned from his Catholic high school after saying there are only two genders and also speaking out against transgender use of bathrooms. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. Josh and Nick Alexander, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm particularly happy to have, uh, I guess, almost some friends from Renfrew, very close to where I spent the summers of my childhood. Beautiful, beautiful area. And so, you know, you guys have been involved in the Freedom Convoy protests you know, a couple of years back and kind of, you know, all sorts of significant social issues that have been bubbling up to the surface across Canada. And so I, I want to talk about that. But the first thing I want to talk about is your reaction to this federal court in Canada basically deeming the invocation of the Urgent Emergencies Act uh, by the Trudeau government as unconstitutional, as against the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, so how do you react to that, Nick? Yeah, well, we've all known that it has been uh, in defiance of our Constitution and our Charter of Rights, and it just, the ruling kind of uh, puts sets it in stone uh, and, and makes it apparent to the whole world how corrupt our uh, government is. What about you? Yeah, I was actually, I was in the truck with Chris Barber, the lead truck from the Freedom Convoy. He was on trial right now at Tamara Litch when, that, when we got that call um, informing us that the... Uh, the uh, federal court had made that decision, and uh, it was a definitely um, encouraging to see that. But it's also uh, we it's what we expected. But we've watched now the the federal government also say they're going to appeal that decision. Um, so it'll be interesting within the coming weeks to see uh, how well written that decision was, and if they're going to be able to critique it very much. Absolutely, and you know, just I'm reminded that they're charged for mischief, and this is uh, you know not typically something that is a you know, long, drawn-out trial, um, uh, certainly of the prominence that, that, that we're seeing. So, so what, what is their status? Yeah, so they're currently on trial right now in Ottawa, and it's taking longer than most murder cases would. Um, I've got to sit in for a bit of that, um, but it, it, it's ridiculous how long it's taking in the, the steps that the Crown has uh, the, gone to to prove how guilty they were of obeying uh, their, their charter and uh, staying true to their nation's values um, in a time of crisis. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, definitely glad that they, they are still uh, doing well. They're, they're encouraged and uh, they're, they're fighting strong, Tamara and Chris, and not just them, but so many others that are um, on trial right now including a friend of mine, um, Aaron Aldridge. He was uh, known as the shirtless guy from the convoy. He went around the entire convoy without a shirt um, in negative 30 weather in the winter. And, uh, he, and he, hit, he survived somehow. <laughs> he survived, but his, his sentencing will be on, um, I believe, February 15th. So 
he's uh, he's been found guilty of a lot of stuff. So there, it's it hasn't stopped. Um, we have this decision that is encouraging, but we also have to recognize uh, it's cost a lot of people, and especially we've still got the coots for um, imprisoned for without due process in Alberta for two years now. Um, and uh, nobody wants to talk about those issues. Well, let's mention that. You know, I recently had uh, Rupa Subramania, who did some you know excellent reporting from Ottawa about the Freedom Convoy protests back in in February 2022. But we we were talking a little bit about the coups for, but we didn't. Neither of us really knew what was happening. And I noticed that you know Tucker Carlson recently uh, was discussing with this with uh, with Premier Smith of, of Alberta. So maybe why don't why don't you kind of remind me or our, our audiences what this is or perhaps you know introduce us to this whole issue yeah well this is obviously the Canadian government uh, overreaching once again um, the the coots four were at the coots border during the freedom convoy um, and uh, they were involved in that demonstration there was a lot of accusations that came from all that um, I'm actually I'm not very well versed on everything that happened but just as a, an onlooker um, I see that, and like I, I grew up watching old westerns, and I've said this before. It was, there were you're always innocent until proven guilty. There was due process, um, and uh, you, you could trust the government to be the good guys and the prosecution to be held um, honorably. And uh, that's not what we're seeing here. It, it's uh, it, we we've seen the Canadian government, especially in Alberta, actually break the Geneva Convention on some of their prisoners, political prisoners. Um, so this is definitely an issue that needs Maybe to be talked about more. Qualify that for me. When you well, say we've that. had um, an, an excellent example, uh, Arthur Pulowski. He uh, was held in uh, in uh, confinement for the longest time. Um, they bring him, they actually they bring him into the uh, the stand up steel box, which is a matter like about a foot and a half wide and you can't sit down in it you have to stand and they leave him in there for hours and uh, so they actually when they arrested him the one time they hung him from the uh, the paddy wagon uh, they shackled him uh, with both his hands and his feet and he was hanging in there so uh, he's a pastor for those who don't know he's uh, just a guy that wanted to open up his church and give the gospel um, and, and, uh, and, and he called it. the police. I remember, I remember the viral clip where he's calling the police Nazis. What are you guys doing coming here? Yeah, he. You know? uh, yeah, I actually got, I got to speak in his church um, last year, and I'll be meeting up with him again here in D.C. next week. But uh, yeah, he uh, he's just another one of the many pastors that spoke out and did the right thing um, and obeyed the the scriptures and the Great Commission. And um, yeah, they're being punished for it. So I can't, there is some encouraging news in Canada, but it's also uh, you have to be wary of what's going on behind the scenes. I've mentioned on this show a number of times that I view the Freedom Convoy protests as, you know, perhaps the most consequential protest globally in recent history because it kind of well, there there were a few things. One was that. You know, it was Canadians doing it, and Canadians are known for being particularly mild-mannered, right? Um, and you know, the, and there's this huge, huge convoy that sort of emerged and sort of picked up steam, and people kept kind of joining all the way, all the way to Ottawa. That was one thing. Two, it was like this absolutely genuine grassroots movement, and everybody except perhaps the the media and the federal government knew that, right? And it was, that it wasn't some kind of you know weird interference or or, 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 you know, non funded thing. No, this was actual people, you know, putting where their money where their mouth was. And finally, you know, because of the, this incredible invocation of the Emergencies Act, which now 
the federal court has basically said, no, that was a way overreach. But, but that showed, and the debanking that came with it, I think it showed people, wow, this is not just theoretical that governments can do this. They, they just did it, right? I don't, uh, what, what's your reaction to, you know, having seen the, I guess, the after effects of the protest? Did, how did things change, Nick, maybe since that time? I think it gave the world a glimmer of hope uh, in the face of tyranny that the people can make a change. We saw that the protest right after it ended, the mandates ended. So it shows that the people, when they stand up against a tyrannical government, it can, uh, it can inflict change in, the, in, in how the government acts towards the people. Um, but it also showed the level of evil that a government is willing to go through go to to punish people for uh, civil rebellion, so to speak. You guys have a, you know, a very interesting vantage point. You're young, you've been on the streets, I mean, you've had crazy altercations with both protesters and law enforcement. Let's go back a little bit. What, what, what's school like in Canada? I mean, and, and you know this personally from your own experience, but also from lots of people that have been reaching out to you as well. But tell me about that. Yeah, so... I, I was going to school, um, I was actually homeschooled to grade 7, um, and then I went into the public board, and in Canada we have the public board, and then we have the public Catholic board. Um, they're both essentially the same, um, uh, although many would like to argue that, I've, I've experienced both of them, and uh, I, uh, I have to say that the Catholic board was actually more openly uh, radical in their ideology. Um, and uh, I don't mean that in a religious sense, I mean that in a woke, uh, progressive sense. And then I went into the uh, high school, and that's when the mandate started to come in, and I was openly opposed to that, and so I would be suspended from school a lot um, for noncompliance, uh, and that was an issue that ended up taking place when me and my friend Monty Walker organized student walkouts against mandates, and they spread from Ontario to Alberta to BC, um, Nova Scotia, everywhere, and uh, we uh, we did these walkouts. The board would uh, plead with us to stop, um, and when that didn't work, they'd start disciplining us, and uh, they called the police on us trying to stop us. And that was actually the only time in the last couple of years I can say that the police did the right thing. Um, when my my principal from my public school called them and said, uh, "We have a student here that's organizing protests and won't stop," they explained to him the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Bill of Rights and our right to peaceful assembly and all that. And then the Freedom Convoy came in, and uh, I, we were involved as students there. And at one point, you had to be 18 or older, according to the federal government, to exercise your right to peaceful assembly. And when I heard that, uh, me, Nick, and a few other students all went down to the convoy, and we we helped with uh, some of the gas running and all that but uh, yeah that was that was my first experience and then I left that school board after the mandates got lifted uh, I just wanted to finish my education in a more uh, polite manner uh, without teachers harassing me non-stop how, how did the teachers harass you oh they would I, I would get just sent to the office for uh, I anything I could do I could sit down for lunch in an area that they didn't like and I'd get sent to the office it was it was a personal issue that they had um, because I did not go along um, with the the mandates and that they didn't like that um, and they would often try to play it off as a disrespect issue but even my own principal um, noted to me in many conversations he was like you are a respectful student you were an award-winning student we don't know where you went wrong 
um, they just wanted me to uh, sit down and shut up about the issue. And I, I, if it was just that simple, maybe I would have. But I recognize that there is a lot more to this issue um, than people's safety and staying six feet away so Granny would stay safe. Um, any uh, throughout history, we've exchanged uh, freedom for safety, and that's always our biggest mistake. So, and I tried desperately trying to get students to recognize what was going on. Um, and uh, they wouldn't. I would make predictions and uh, like I remember for instance I said early on I said there's going to be a mask mandate. Students said no 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 it's we have freedoms in this country that wouldn't happen and then it happened and they all defended it and they're like well we kind of have to because it's for our safety and then I'd say well there's going to be a vaccine mandate and sure enough there'd be a vaccine mandate and I said there won't just be one there'll be multiple and it just kept happening and uh, now that we have this decision that's just come out we're seeing kind of a change in the narrative where they all pretend that they all thought that all along it was oh. an overreach and it's 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 quite ridiculous but um, you'll you'll never but, win but they'll just follow. Seem, but that seems positive somehow to me that it's it's falsely so it, it there, there's basically they're saying that after calling us terrorists, I've had articles written about me calling me a terrorist uh, by the Ottawa like accredited journalists and stuff, um, and you have all these accusations, and then just overnight there's a decision and everything's back to normal, nothing ever happened. I just know that, uh, the, sure, that today they might uh, be on our side with this issue, but the next day I'm, the government tells them not to be, they won't be, and they'll understand it, and the, or they'll understand what the government puts before them, and they will, um, they will be uh, warriors for falsehood again. You know, I'm just talking about gender ideology. I remember, Nick, you were uh, at an event with Chris Elston in Toronto where you had a you know altercation with protest and counter protesters and and then law enforcement tell me about that whole thing, situation yeah um i believe it was on september 22nd it was shortly after the million man march that we uh, uh were helping and orchestrate across uh across canada and yeah we we're with billboard chris in victoria park uh, in toronto uh, <clears throat> we were, were doing one of our normal events our education over indoctrination uh protests and we had a decent-sized crowd. There was a few hundred people there. It wasn't, it wasn't as big as we were expecting, but a decent-sized crowd, and there was roughly the same size opposing us, a little less. Um, still a few hundred opposing us, and they were just getting very violent throughout the, uh, throughout the day. It was just escalating, escalating, escalating. And so we kind of were on one side of the street, and they took the other side, and the cops just kept pushing our crowd further away, further away. Um, and so there was a small portion of our crowd that ended up getting stuck kind of behind, surrounded by the woke mob. And so I just went back there, I was going to get him to move, and I was like, I discussed it with the police, I said, we, we've been uh, organizing this event for months, we have every right to be here, you guys know we're here, we're, we're the reason you guys are here, we have the right to stand here, and uh, and so the other crowd just keeps attacking us, they're just, they have uh, umbrellas they're trying to stab us with, um, there's, they, they kind of come in waves, so three, four of them will rush into you, and the rest of them will come in behind them and try to push you off the off the sidewalk or onto the street and uh, just try to get us out of there. And so one of them ran over and tried to uh, tackle me. And so I just kind of was trying to get him off me. I'm, I'm kind of crouched down trying to push him off of me. And a second guy dives over and takes a swing at me. And it was in my peripheral vision, so I couldn't exactly see what was in his hand. Um, but he sliced me right above the eye. And luckily, I saw him in my peripheral vision coming, so I was able to kind of back out of the uh, out of the hit and avoid most of the contact. So it just got a a bit of a cut above my eye. 
And so I was bleeding pretty bad. Like I looked down at the sidewalk I was standing on. There's a pool of blood there. And instead of the cops, instead of arresting the guy who attacked me, uh, pushed him, put him back in the crowd and kept trying to get me to leave. And so I'm standing there. And I, at this point, I'm just giving the gospel to the crowd uh, like we always do. It's really a message of absolute love. And the cop walks up to me and says, you can't say that here can't do that here and so one of the veterans I was with his name's Wild Bill he's a he's a good fella and he was there with us and he says it's going to be an honor going down beside you and he shakes my hand I, I see him and he's you can see it's something switched he knows what's about to go down and the cops come surround us uh put us in cuffs and put us drag us off to the paddy wagon and uh kept us in, kept us in the paddy wagon for I'd say a couple hours we were in there for quite a while um, and meanwhile, I'm bleeding. Like it wasn't a cut, of, a face cut bleeds a lot, and it was fairly deep. And so when we finally got to the police precinct, they kept me locked up in the paddy wagon for an extended period of time, before one of the officers came up, and I was still handcuffed, but he uh, he put a some sort of bandage on the cut. It wasn't it wasn't sticking because there was so much blood, and so he wrapped it in a cloth and uh, put a pin on it. And then they took my pin away because they thought I was going to break. In his own words, he was worried I was going to break out. I, I gave him, I kind of was joking about it. I said, I know I can use that to pick my handcuffs, right? And uh, so, yeah, they refused, uh, refused medical assistance, refused to give me medical assistance for a very extended period of time. And eventually they brought me to the hospital after, uh, after hours. And when I get to the hospital, the nurse at the front, or the receptionist, I guess, at the front says, you're going to have to put a mask on, sir. I'm in cuffs at this point, covered in blood, and uh, two cops at either side. And I'm standing in the merge room. Everyone's looking. It's it's a bit of a sight. And uh, the nurse says, "You're gonna have to put a mask." on. I said, "I'm not putting a mask on. I'm not doing this." And at the, the security walk up, and they say, "No, no, you you have to put a mask on. This isn't an option." I say, "What are you gonna do? Call the cops?" And the cop beside me just starts laughing. He's I'm already arrested, and uh, so yeah, they they stitched me up at the hospital and. I was talking to, actually going back to this. This is in September of 2023. Yes, September And they were re requiring you to wear a mask. Yeah, well, yeah, hospitals in Canada in right. yeah, very early fall just mandated masks again. They're still in, mandated. Yeah, still are. Um, actually, going back to the police precinct, you, you mentioned it was a, a, in reference to the cut. One of the cops told me, I asked him what it was, because I, I, I knew it was a blade of some sort, and the cop, one of the cops said it was a bladed glove, and the other cop told me it was a knife. Um, and when, one, after I got released later on and talking to people, uh, everybody seemed to think that was in the, in the uh, area at the time seemed to think that it was a knife. And, uh, but a guy did get arrested uh, shortly after for assaulting another person. He was wearing a bladed glove. So which one it was, I don't know, but I do know it was a blade of some sort. How do you explain how law enforcement approached this situation? It's interesting you, you bring that up. Um, what I find so weird about the whole situation is our crowd, the crowd who is pro-freedom, the crowd who's against gender ideology being forced on the kids, uh, our crowd is the same crowd who back in 2019, back in 2020, was the back the blue crowd. You know, we we had back the blue patches we wore, um, very vocal about it. Support the police, don't defund the police. We need our police. We love our police, um, and the police have essentially responded to this by uh, unfairly enforcing justice on 
on the populace who's standing up for up for right. And I think the only they're they're acting out of fear, whether it's fear of the crowd, mm -hmm. fear of the woke mob, or whether it's fear of losing their job, which we've seen happen in Canada. Our parents, both school teachers, lost their jobs because they refused to uh, refused to to encourage uh, transgender ideology on their kids. And so, th whether they're in fear of losing their jobs or whether they're in fear of uh, of the of the mob, they're acting out of fear and they're improperly enforcing justice. What is the state of the education system? How many people in, in the school system are actually, you know, taking a contrarian position? In my experience, there's, well, I'm the only student in Canada in my situation. I believe I'm the only student in the States in this situation. I know there have been other kids that have stood up and they've, like, um, They've, they've faced uh, consequences for doing so. Um, one, there's a girl named Olivia who just mentioned that uh, the uh, word biological female, I believe, in an essay, and they docked her all her grades. They gave her, uh, I think, a zero on it. But anyways, um, there, are, there are no students that are willing to talk about these issues. A lot of them don't recognize that they matter. A lot of them don't understand why I do what I do. Um, and uh, as far as teachers go, they are they are actually um, they are worse than the curriculum. Um, they are like they're, the curric when you look at the curriculum itself. I disagree with a lot of the sex ed stuff, um, and there's there's a I disagree with the way it's taught and the way it's uh, addressed. But uh, honestly, the curriculum isn't even my problem. It's more so the the radical teachers that um, enjoy pushing hysteria upon kids. Um, I've had uh, so many teachers just at the beginning of my uh, first first year, first time ever being in the Catholic board, uh, the first question I get asked on the paper, first paper I receive is, what are your pronouns? Um, and uh, so that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the class and it, it uh, shows that these students think it's totally normal. They all write down their pronouns and go on to talk about uh, the cultural appropriation and um, the uh, ra racist curriculum and systematic racism within municipal uh, government. It's ridiculous just how much they enjoy pushing a false narrative um, and uh, how infuriated they get when it's challenged. Um, I've always been respectful. I believe that's the only way that we can properly approach these issues. Um, but uh, they lose their composure, um, especially in the face of somebody who's respectful. That's what they really dislike. Because it's easy to discredit someone that's, uh, that's rude or obnoxious. But when you get somebody that's respectful and uh, articulate and describing the issue before them, um, they don't like that. And uh, so I've got a lot of... Uh, very uh, irresponsible feedback from teachers. I've had so many inappropriate comments. For, in for uh, instance, the, the first uh, argument that was made against me by my law teacher after I said that uh, males shouldn't be in female washrooms and change rooms was that the only reason I believed that was because I couldn't control my hormones. And she told this to the entire class. So, that, I mean, that's totally inappropriate for a teacher to talk, talk about that, especially about a student, two other students. That's kind of... Uh, how empowered they feel. They don't feel that there's going to be any consequences. Um, and I've brought these issues uh, before my school board and before uh, trustees and all that. And yeah, there's no concern about those kind of issues. They, uh, they'd rather punish me for, well, at this point, the only allegation against me is that I quoted Mark 10.6, um, which is God created the male and female. They don't like it. Um, and uh, How is that an allegation? So they say that that was bullying. 
Um, in a Catholic school board, quoting the Bible, the Catholic so that's, school board. Yeah, that's been an issue that has come up several times um, because in Canada we have Bill C-4, uh, which bans conversion therapy, uh, which essentially bans certain scriptures that state the truth about biblical sexuality. And uh, so Mark 10.6 would be one of those in Genesis 1. Um, where yeah, it but talks you're, not, about, you're not coercing anyone to believe that. I'm not, but yeah. uh, I, I'm in a class with students that identify uh, something other than what they were born as. And when I state uh, my beliefs on that issue, when I quote scripture, um, it's considered offensive, it's considered bullying. And uh, yeah, so that's the allegation. Where What actually happened is I was in the classroom with about 30 students, my math teacher, math class. Um, he's shouting at me, um, telling me I can be whatever I want to be and I should explore myself and I might not actually be a boy. Um, and uh, so I, I went back and forth with him on this and the, uh, the entire class uh, freaked out and they were calling me a racist, they are calling me a misogynist, a homophobe. Um, and so I'm kind of defending myself while also stating my opinion. And this one student who I've later learned was... Uh, transgender um, stands up and uh, approaches me, uh, leaves her chair and is walking toward, across the class yelling at me telling me uh, she can identify as she please and she can be whatever she wants to be and I respond I said yeah of course you can identify as you please but that uh, doesn't change your biology it doesn't change the fact of the matter like it doesn't change reality um, and I said that uh, I quoted Mark 10:6, and this is where the allegation comes from. I said, "Look, God created us, male or female. You're either one or the other, and you can't change it." So that was uh, that was what was considered bullying. This is in a classroom debate where the teacher's encouraging it. So that's uh, that's why I've been banned from school for two years, and I won't be uh, even after that two-year ban is over. Um, I will have an indefinite ban, uh, essentially until I apologize for quoting scripture. Let's talk about the Million Man March, um, which is, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people here in the U.S. know about it, but it's a pretty, pretty significant event. Uh, you know, a, a very significant number of people for, you know, Canada has how many? Forty million uh, yeah, I think people. Forty, high 30s, 40 something I like maybe, that. Maybe right? forty now. Um, you know, a pretty significant number of people mobilized to participate. Uh, you know, in, in all sorts of towns and cities across the country. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, it was really quite incredible to see um, parents from all different all different religions, all different uh, walks of life saying, no, we're sick of our kids being told anti-truths. Um, we're sick of all the corruption that they're being taught. We're sick of the uh, sexual immorality that's being forced on them. We don't want this in our school system. Teach your kids something that's going to uh, benefit them in life, teach them math, teach them science, real science, biology, physics, uh, and chemistry, and keep this junk out of it. And, uh, yeah, like there's been a handful of voices for the last couple years talking about it. Uh, well, nearly uh, nearly nobody will, will bring it up. And uh, I think when, it, when you break it down, most parents didn't know what was happening in the school system. Kids go to school, they come back home, parents are busy with work, they make supper, put TV on, go to bed, you know, just living normal life um, and probably weren't aware of what was happening, what was ta actually taking place in the school system. And so really what happened with Josh in, in, in classroom brought to light uh, what's taking place in our school sy system and parents weren't happy and they came from all walks of life uh, all across the country. We had 10,000 people in Ottawa 
and then you go to Pembroke. This big... a, that's a big crowd for Ottawa. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing for just, I remember seeing uh, the photos. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. was a localized Ottawa mm -hmm. group. That wasn't from mm -hmm. Toronto. It was Toronto had another ten thousand people in Toronto, and same in Niagara, same in Barrie, same all across Canada, from east to west. Every town of any of any size had uh, hundreds and thousands of parents and students walking out, and, and I think the problem that we're seeing is that woke. People, part, members of the woke mob tend to be a lot more vocal about their opinions and that tends to lead people to believe that this is the majority, this is how the majority sees it, when it's not. that The majority doesn't see it that way. The majority just doesn't care enough to get involved. And it is time that the majority gets involved before, uh, before society is completely collapsed. So do you think that's the beginning of an actual kind of reaction? I think it's hard to say. Um... I've, I've been to schools um, where I, I've got to learn a little bit more how students think and I've always wondered how, how much different am I from the average student because I don't know, a lot of students can't relate to me but I get to go there and I get to watch just in a few brief minutes um, change within a student body. Uh, for instance, I was in Calgary um, on May 17th of last year and uh, I show up to this event, there's BLM and Antifa that are protesting outside of a high school because there were students at that high school across the country um, doing running a protest in support of me. So I went to visit these students and uh, there, they were the, there was groups waiting there for me, um, supportive students, students that were against me, a lot that just wanted to see what was going to happen and then there's BLM and Antifa um, and there's a stone wall separating me, BLM and Antifa from the students. So I get attacked, um, they punched me in the face, they uh, were choking me out with the chain on my neck, they were burning my Bibles trying to set me on fire at one point. The students watch this and I'm totally calm, a lot of it I have my hands in the air and I'm actually just trying to engage with students while I'm getting attacked. Um, and then the police come in and they tell me uh, that I'm under arrest, they take me away and uh, as I'm being cuffed, I'm still talking to students, I'm giving the gospel, I'm offering them Bibles and uh, they uh, arrest me, they walk me down and uh, I engage with students even from the paddy wagon. I'm still, I just wouldn't shut up and the police are telling me I need to stop um, and they wanted to get me on a uh, hate speech bylaw um, because uh, apparently you can't uh, say anything controversial within 200 meters of uh, a pride group, but these th these are counter-protesters to my event. So I got to watch how the students reacted to that, even students that were just bystanders, they didn't really support me, they didn't really know anything. And then about an hour and a half later, I get released under the condition that I don't return. Please tell me if you return, you will be arrested um, and charged. So I get released and I start walking right back because um, I wasn't done there. I had an event to do and there's students that wanted to meet me and wanted to talk and I wanted to give the gospel and uh, so that's what I did um, and uh, I actually didn't even, there was, there was a line set by the police, they said. I couldn't, couldn't cross a certain line. I couldn't cross the road towards the school and as I'm about to cross that line the students all came to me. Students that weren't supportive of me before and they now all wanted photos and they were talking with me and we had, they were taking, they were asking questions about uh, uh, Jesus on the cross and all these issues because they realized that um, if I was willing to go to that extent to give my message there must be something to it. Um, and they can kind of relate to me because I'm 17 years old and they couldn't, well they couldn't imagine doing something like that. Um, and they can relate to that situation uh, and so they, they like that and uh, students love rebellion. 
Um, and uh, young people always have loved rebellion, which is why the left is doing so well in the universities and all that, because they teach rebellion against everything that's normal and traditional. And the mistake that the conservatives make is they try to play center field. Um, and they try, mm. to, they try to get people from both sides. They don't want to um, offend anybody. Uh, and the reason I get a radical response from students is because I have a supposed, well, in this day and age, it's a radical message. Um, and they like that. They don't want somebody that's going to play center field. They want somebody that will help them rebel. And we got to channel that rebellion um, into a righteous rebellion. And that's what I try to do. It's, it's weird that now the, the born-again Christian kid that's given Bibles out is rebellious. But uh, that, that, that's a tactic. That it's something that we need to use. So uh, I, I think that's a uh, lesson that a lot of Canadians need to learn. Well, so... And the other thing I wanted to talk about is, so you, you, I want you to tell me about Save Canada, which is this, I guess, organization or movement which which you guys are are pursuing. Um, I, I understand your brother actually got, you know, suspended for wearing the hat. Uh, but this event that you were talking about earlier, that that was a Save Canada event, yes. right? Yeah. So I want to talk about that because there's kind of there's two there's a few different elements here. Like for example. Not everybody at the Million Man March. You know, I know there were you know traditional Muslims at the Million Man March. I know there were all sorts of people. There were, um, you know, class what you call classical liberals at the Million Man March. There were, but on the other, and, but on the other hand, you know, obviously your faith is incredibly important to you. You both have mentioned it pretty, you know, in in no uncertain terms. So, but so there's there's kind of this there's part of the movement which is about freedom, in general, and then there's part of this movement which is uh, spreading the gospel, I guess you would say, right? So, and but because Save Canada, it's a provocative name, right? Say, Save Canada from what? Tell me about that. Well, so actually, at that march, which was was the first time I've ever seen it, there were Jews, like Orthodox Jews, there were Muslims, there were Christians, there were Catholics, there was ev everyone you could imagine. There were Sikhs, mm -hmm. um, you name it. Everyone was at that march, um, and it was because. In, in my belief, um, the all morality stems from God, and that's the, it's kind of the mm -hmm. idea of morality. It's kind of the idea of God. He is the pinnacle of the moral hierarchy, mm -hmm. um, and so truths from that are going to be pulled into every religion. But it all comes back to the truth of morality and where that stems from. Mm -hmm. So yes, Muslims are going to have they're they're some of the most disciplined people you'll ever meet, and they've outdone the the church on almost every level. Um, so there's a lot that can be learned from them um, about discipline and about uh, just being a unified people. Um, and uh, they really helped. There's a gentleman we worked with a lot, Kamil El-Sheikh, and he was a Muslim um, and uh, just a parent that said, look, enough is enough. I want to join. And he met me on June 9th in Ottawa and uh, we worked together on this Million Man March thing. And uh, yeah, so it, it's definitely it all, a lot of it stems from religion, if not all of it. Um, and uh, m my argument is with the, the Save Canada message, it's a very generic message. Um, it can be used on any issue and it actually came out of the Freedom Convoy, mm -hmm. uh, or actually before the Freedom Convoy, but leading up to it uh, about the mask mandates. And uh, it was a young man in Nova Scotia that uh, wore the hat for the first time. He just went to a little rally on Citadel Hill and the police arrested him and everything. Um, but uh, how is it that Save Canada is an arrest, like wearing a Save Canada hat is an arrestable offense? Well, it was more so the fact that 
lockdowns were in place and mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to leave you weren't allowed to demonstrate oh, okay so okay. yeah that anyways i got to know that uh, that guy and his group and the, it's been passed off to us uh, for i mean about a year before the uh, or around the freedom convoy and since we've been we've been running this organization um and i I like it because yes, it refers to our politics and our social issues, but it also refers to the state of our nation. I always say politics are the symptom of of the the state of our faith in our nation, um, because uh, if we were a moral nation, if we were um, a righteous nation, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Um, my favorite book in the Bible, Proverbs, talks about what happens to the foolish man and the evil man, and then what the result of a, a prudent man, um, and and that is so true. And I've seen it work in my own life. Um, so we have to have faith in that and recognize that yes, those who rely on falsehood, who campaign on falsehood, are going to fall. Um, and uh, we need we need to recognize that and have hope in that and um, be bold about our faith um, because. Uh, there's going to be a time when we have to answer for our actions on earth and did we stand with those with the fools that stood on falsehood with uh, those who built their house in the sand or uh, are we founded on the rock tell me a bit about uh tell me a bit about the situation where your brother was suspended for for having a safe canada hat what happened there the hat was never really like it, it was controversial, but not to the point where anybody really cared. Um, I wore it for all of my time in high school. I wore that hat, and uh, that was leading up to the convoy. And even after the convoy, nobody really cared. It wasn't until that viral video of me being arrested outside my high school wearing that hat, um, and it's been um, a key part in our in our uh, messaging um, over the last year about gender ideology. That's where we really hit them and they don't like that and so th to see any student within the schools um, wearing this symbol that uh, that uh, suggests that they support me or my narrative um, they will be kicked out and I get messages all the time my little brother uh, saw that uh, Nick got knifed and all that and he thought he'd wear the hat in support of him of us and his next day at school and yeah they showed up and uh, brought him into the office told me he'd take it off and uh, he asked why, and they couldn't really explain why. They just said it was controversial, and they didn't like the branding. They said it was too political, which it's not, as we just explained. Um, it's really not a political message. There should be nothing wrong with the message, Save Canada. Um, whatever, whatever side uh, of the political realm you're on, you should recognize that Canada is in peril. It's no longer what it used to be. Um, and it, you wouldn't think it would be too offensive to say Save Canada, but... Uh, Apparently it is, so they're, they're kicking students out for wearing my hat now. I want to learn a little bit about your parents, because obviously they, uh, you know, played a role in, I'm kind of being glib a little bit, a major role in, in you know, you being here today. You know, everything that led up to it and you being here today chatting with me. So tell me about your relationship with your parents. Very, very good relationship with both uh, my mom and my dad. They made a lot of sacrifices growing up to make sure we were raised right and uh, raised in line with the Word of God. And they did everything they could to, uh, in their ability to assure that we were uh, going to grow up and live righteous lives, so to speak. They're, they uh, tossed about the gospel from a very young age, from Day one, essentially. I believe I was three days old when I was first in church. And, uh, yeah, the gospel, the importance of of uh, turning from our sins to Jesus, the importance of repentance, the importance of uh, living a walk uh, 
living your life in a walk with, with Christ. And so they've uh, very heavily influenced their lives. And uh, yeah, much the Save Canada wouldn't exist without them, that's for sure. Yeah, I would say that um, for someone to hear that or hear us talk about our parents um, with respect to these issues, they'd just say, oh, you're just a bunch of indoctrinated kids, but it's really not the case. My parents didn't want me in the education system because it is indoctrination. They wanted to teach us how to think and not what to think. Um, and they've, they've presented us the evidence and allowed us to decide for ourselves. And when the truth is before you, it's, it's not that complicated. And uh, so um, I'm very thankful for my parents and the sacrifice they made uh, to keep us out of school and to homeschool us, but not only that, um, to now uh, watch them um, be kicked out of their, like lose their jobs because of it. My dad was one year away from his pension, um, and uh, th that's all been stripped from them um, because they chose to be Christians. And I've, I've got asked a question at my... Um, school board hearing. Um, I was before a bunch of lawyers at the school and they were trying to find out whether I was really um, guilty of what, I, what I'm being accused of. And, and, and uh, what, what is that, by the way? Bullying. Oh yeah, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sitting before this board and I got asked a very strange question. I said, they asked me, they said, do you believe your principal, Derek Lennox, um, actually believes what he's saying? And I said, no, um, I don't believe you can be raised with at least the basis of morality and be totally okay with not standing up for the vulnerable, leaving teenage girls to have to undress in front of uh, boys and all these issues. So no, I don't believe that that's okay. But I said, um, I said, my parents don't believe that's okay either. They made a very different decision than Mr. Lennox. Um, and I said, the reason for that is because they're Christians. And the room kind of went silent, and because uh, this is in a Catholic school or room, um, and uh, they did not like that. I said um, that in order to stand up, in order to take a fall for what is right, um, you have to you have to be sure of that, and you have to be in a, a relationship with Christ. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm proud to have been raised in a family that uh, had that. How has this affected? Your family as a whole. It's kind of it's shaking it up, uh, losing their jobs. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's changed the path we were headed down. But at the end of the day, not a lot has changed because we're still grounded uh, on Christ. He's our soul. He's our rock, and we're still grounded on truth. We're still grounded on His word, and we know at 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 the end of our lives, we know when we stand before the throne that we've done what's right. Yeah, there's there's earthly. Uh, the stuff we have to pay for earthly for what's happening, but uh, righteousness has a price, freedom has a price, everything has a price, so it's it's worth paying at the end of the day. You mentioned, Josh, earlier that there aren't a lot of kids that are doing what you're doing. I say kids, again, kind of glibly, you're 17, right? But um, there aren't a lot of young people doing what you're doing, but at the same time, there seem to be a number, and this is coming out whether through the statistics in BC or, you know, the reaction of people to to your you know activities, your communication with people. I know you've been talking with all sorts of young people across the country and beyond even that. So, do you see some sort of shift happening? To an extent, um, and this goes back to what we were talking about uh, earlier on about um, how the narrative changes. 
as the truth comes to light and everybody kind of acts like that's normal. Um, students are starting to recognize the truth. They are starting to realize that maybe I'm not the radical, hateful bigot that they thought I was, um, especially when they actually get to talk to me in person and see my actions in the face of um, both injustice and uh, tyranny. But uh, I truly believe that uh, our, uh, without, without seeing the, the full truth, our nation won't be able to turn. Canadians are known as being very um, polite, but uh, th that turns into being docile very quickly. Um, and uh, y you can be polite and you can be respectful, but you also have to be bold. Um, and that's, uh, that's something that we need to see a change in. Um, and it's not just in Canada. I'm an American as well. Um, and uh, I, I get to meet with American citizens and uh, students and uh, see what the, 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 what's going on there. And it, honestly, it's not much different than Canada. Um, Canada is, is just a few months ahead of America, and it's, it's sad. I go to the States thinking that there's, there's hope there, and there is. Um, it's definitely not too late to fix uh, America, but I see the same symptoms. Um, and uh, we, we are, the world in general is headed in a very bad direction, um, and I believe the only thing that can change that is um, an actual recognition of what is true to the core. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm willing to stand. I'm, I'm willing to. Uh, I'm willing to die for my faith. If it's if it's not worth uh, dying for, it's not worth living for. Do you remember a time? You're obviously, you know, you grew up in a very Christian household. Your parents instilled these values, as you've been describing, Nick. And so, was there some moment where you decided, okay, yes, I'm on board with this? Did you have to make that choice? Was it just sort of always obvious? I'm just, it. it it's very curious to me how people, uh, or not curious, but it's very, always very interesting to me how people come to their faith, right? I can't remember an exact moment where I decide this is true. Um, I don't have a, um, an amazing testimony in that manner um, where I came to faith, but uh, it, I know that it was, I was at a fairly young age when I recognized that, and I've only grown since. Um, but I, I'd also say that um, in the Bible it talks about how we are to die to our sin every day. Um, every day we are supposed to make that decision that, yeah, this is what I'm going to stand for. And with every decision we make in our lives, it should be, uh, it should be with that in mind. Um, so um, I think it, it, with each challenge that's put before us, we have to make that decision every time. For me, um, I think I was about 11. I grew, like I said, grew up in a Christian home. I was well aware of the gospel. I was well aware of the story of the cross. I was well aware of it all. It just didn't personally have a huge effect on me. I remember I was 11 years old. I was at a gospel tent meeting. Um, the preacher was preaching. I believe he was using uh, a chart, the broad road and the narrow, the narrow road. It's a chart that uh, a lot of gospel preachers use. I remember just sitting there, and the, it, it struck me. It's like, I'm a sinner. I'm right now in my sin before a holy God. The reason I'm talking, I'm asking about this, right, is like you mentioned earlier, right, that in a very secular, highly secularized society, which, you know, Canada is even much more so than the U.S., and the U.S. is quite that way, um, all, all of these types of processes, religious processes, are often portrayed as being some kind of indoctrination, right? And it's not something that people that have come to personally, right? It, that, that, that's my observation. 
I don't know if you if you disagree, please tell me. But that that's the reason I'm asking about this, right? Because I'm you know you, people's strength. I've encountered all sorts of people. I mean, this this show is about you know people who are credibly challenging some of the grand narratives of the day. You know, and and many of them false actually. Um, and you know, people come to their strength in different ways, and they often have to some. So for some of them, it's just obvious that they have. This is what they have to do, um, but sometimes they find it in God. Other times, they find it in other places. I, I believe that morality can be found, and I have um, a lot of secular people that I've met that are willing to stand up more than Christians. Um, so, like I said, yeah, it can't be through indoctrination. It has to be a personal choice mm -hmm. that this is the truth. So, yeah, that there, that can be for um, that can come from people that aren't religious and it has many times throughout history many of many of the greats were um, atheistic or d didn't believe in uh, the Christ's death on the cross um, whether you're a Christian or not everybody recognizes that there's evil mm. and you'll have all these scientists and um, they, these secular figures talking about um, well, the, the, the common rule every equal has an opposite um, so if we know that there is evil to every opposite, we have to recognize that, yeah, there is good, there is a pinnacle of, of uh, morality. I want to switch gears a little bit. And, uh, you know, when something that I, uh, uh, you've said in the past, we're talking, we're talking about the situation in schools, right? All of this has been put on its end, just from the perspective of being someone who was recently in school. What, what does that look like? It's weird because physical relationships are a dying thing. Um, They've kind of been replaced by social media. Snapchat's probably the tool that's most used. Um, where both sexes seem to be getting their, uh, I guess, f f satisfied from what they want through social media. It's very, very strange uh, situation. It's a mess. You'll have uh, these circles where yeah, promiscuity is um, encouraged and it's all they work on. And then you have the, the, the pornographic group. They just send nudes and they try to make any kind of offer. And I, I don't want that. I'm, I'm waiting for marriage. I uh, think that's uh, one of the greatest things our um, society has lost. Um, it's the greatest bond between a man and a woman. It's, it's the gift God gave to marriage. And uh, it, it's something that's been lost and it's been perverted. And uh, we need to change that. One of the things that I've been covering a little bit on this show, but it's very hard for me to find people who can credibly talk about it or you know studied it, is the sort of the the impact of pornography on our society. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that it's a profoundly destructive effect, right? And you mentioned it briefly. Um, so how how common is it among uh, you know high school people? the vast majority of males, I'd say in the high 90 percentile, um, are into pornography. It's rampant. And it used to be, it used to be something that people were embarrassed by, right? Um, the only place you get it was maybe the gas station, right? But uh, that's no longer the case. It's open to anybody and it's a private thing that you'd think they still would be embarrassed by, but no. Um, I was in my math class again, uh, as, as you do in math class, we were talking about the cause of pornography. Um, and I'm sitting there and I was shocked. Girls and guys openly talking about what they watch, how much they watch it, when they watch it, the most recent time they watched it. 
and I, I mean, I was shocked. I thought this was, uh, I, I always knew it was a uh, raging issue, but I didn't know that it was something that they didn't even recognize as a problem. They aren't embarrassed by it. They're totally okay with that. And it also explains why our population is so do docile and weak when it comes to tyranny. Mm. It, it completely, uh, there's a Latin word, virtus. It's, a war, it's, a, it's, it's defined as warrior virtue, bravery, honor, courage, something that's completely lacking in our society. But uh, look back at the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans. That was what their society was built upon. The men were warriors. Um, and that's what made them so great. That's what ha has made so many accomplishments in their society. Um, and men get this, this desire to conquer, I guess, fulfilled in pornography. It's, I believe, has, has the, an effect that's caused a very, or, or partially uh, the cause behind our weak and docile society. Project Veritas just did and released something. I believe it was Project Veritas. Well, sorry, no longer Project Veritas. It was James O'Keefe. Um, he, he released something uh, where they had an interview with somebody from Pornhub, and they, uh, the guy admitted that they try to they, they have branding in there, and they, they have techniques to try to open people up to new categories, and it just furthers the sexual perversion of our country. Uh, beauty aspires men to greatness, um, but when you remove the, the, the tradition in beauty and you remove the elegance and just mm. make it only the physical beauty and not the heart, um, it becomes really lame. This is something I'm going to be looking into a lot deeper because my sense is there's something that's really profoundly broken in how we're forming relationships as young people through the mediation of this pornography. I just like, I can't imagine how destructive, I can't even begin to imagine how destructive of an impact that might have on relationships because you know expectations all you know mm -hmm. so, so so many things this desensitization which of course is you know related to to what you were talking about just now you know you guys are on the one side you paint a very dark picture um, on the other hand I know you've inspired a lot of people Christian and otherwise to be more vocal about their beliefs and uh, you know, stand up for stand up for what they believe and and say it publicly. And so, you know, as we finish up, I guess I want to touch on that a little bit about these, uh, you know, sort of reactions to your work. We've covered it a little bit, but um, and and sort of, you know, what what uh, Save Canada is up to next. Yeah, we uh, we have definitely seen a change in the way that. Um, the nation has responded to us, but not like internationally as well. Um, the people are starting to accept our narrative, um, and uh, the, it's become more of a talking point. For the longest time, politicians wouldn't discuss this, and now here we are. Um, when you say this, just to be clear, gender you know, ideology okay. and uh, just the the destruction of our nation, our once great nation, um, and uh, I look at that and I recognize that there is so much fear involved um, from both the people and the politicians that needs to be addressed but I also see that one man one one 17 year old kid's voice can mean a lot um, one 19 year old kids uh, a firefighter he was a firefighter the youngest on the department um, his actions uh, which ends up costing him his job can mean a lot 
Um, they can set great, quite the testimony um, across the nation and uh, make a difference and uh, a lot, it'll never be recognized, but that's not, uh, that's not our goal. Um, it, it, the fact of the matter is it has changed uh, the way um, social issues are addressed in Canada um, and uh, well, we aren't going to stop. In fact, on uh, February 16th, we have the third education over indoctrination rally coming up in Ottawa. And uh, we, we've had quite a bit of success with those in the past and I'm looking forward to that one. Well, well, Josh and Nick Alexander, such a pleasure to have had you on. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for having us. Thank you all for joining Josh and Nick Alexander and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kalik. Thank you.